We rise for the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met Jesus. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When Jesus saw him from a distance, the man ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now therefore on the hillside a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged Jesus, Send us into the swine and let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what it, what, what it was that had happened. They came to see Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to the man, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So, you might be saying to yourself, wait a minute, this is not the year of Mark. Isn't the All Saints passage supposed to be Matthew? I was expecting to hear the Beatitudes today. And you're right, normally in this year, the Beatitudes are the appointed text for All Saints Sunday. But it's not often that we get to have not only All Saints Sunday, but All Saints Day on a Sunday. So we're actually celebrating on the day of the festival which means yesterday, yes, I know everyone is saying it was Reformation, and so we went around nailing things to each other's doors. But yesterday is also Halloween, and I happened to to have had an opportunity to work on this text last week, and I just could not resist the lure of telling a ghost story for Halloween. And and in, in a lot of ways, isn't this what this really is? The story of a man who's possessed by demons is really a, a, a good ghost story that's been the basis of I don't know how many movies. And so, you know, we have here a made-for-TV gospel, and, and part of what caught me is the fact that in, in movies and television shows and books that I've read, you know, this kind of ghost story has been a staple of it. And it got me thinking about 
you know, what is the story of this demon? You know, what is the ghost story in this? Because, you know, it's, it's interesting to recognize who the main characters of this story are. The only human characters that are actually named or mentioned as individuals are Jesus and the man who is possessed. And then the third character that's an individual is the demon itself, even though the, the demon identifies itself as legion and we are many, right? And so one of the things that strikes me about this name legion, we are many, is you have to think about what the context of Mark is. Mark is typically thought to have been written somewhere around 63, 65 to maybe 70 AD at, at the latest ones. And most people are, con are convinced that it's probably written towards 63 or 65, those earlier dates. And so if you think about what's going on in those times, the Roman occupation has started to very much wear on the people who were being occupied, the Jewish nation in Jerusalem. And so the tensions were rising. There were a lot more outspoken people. The zealots were starting to cause problems. And by the time 70 AD came around, there had been armed revolts by the Jewish people and the Roman authority had finally had enough. And so they crushed the rebellion underfoot. They tore down the temple in Jerusalem and they sent the people of God scattered to the winds. And so Mark is probably written in the, in the ramping up of these tensions. And it's interesting that the demon names itself Legion because the forces of Rome that were going to stomp on the, on the temple and destroy it also called themselves Legion. A legion of Roman soldiers was somewhere between five and 8,000 people usually. And so, you know, these 2,000 demons going into the swine herd, I, I think, and I, I was told by a friend of mine who studies the New Testament much more scholastically than I do, that scholars would agree that this was a not-so-subtle snub and barb at, at the Roman authority, that the legion would go into the pigs, and, and that the legion was a reference to Rome. But anyone who's a pig farmer would also know, and I didn't know this, I grew up in the suburbs, and so I had to find this in, in Bible study, and uh, anyone who raises pigs would also know that pigs don't worry about water, and the, the farmers don't worry about pigs in water because pigs swim. And so it's weird that Legion went into the pigs and all of a sudden the pigs drowned. Now, there's something else weird about this, this, inter this exchange between Jesus and the demon, because the demon says to Jesus, don't torment us. Isn't that interesting? The demon says to Jesus, don't torment us, right? And, and the, the fact that the demon recognizes Jesus is also notable because all four Gospels have this theme that the people of God don't really understand who Jesus is, but whenever Jesus comes into contact with the forces of hell, death, and the devil, the demons all recognize Jesus. You know, the devil knows who Jesus is. And, and even some of the people who stand against Jesus stand against him because they sort of recognize who he is and recognize that somehow Jesus' authority is going to usurp their, their authority. So the people who stand against the kingdom of God are always actually the first ones to recognize it. And here's another interesting tidbit. You might recognize that if we're starting with Matthew 5, verse 1, the preceding verse was in, in chapter 4. And what happens at the very end of chapter 4, remember in chapter 5, Jesus gets out of the boat 
At the end of chapter 4, Jesus gets into the boat, and all of a sudden there are storms and winds and seas that rise and swell, and their tiny ship was tossed, and everyone turns to Jesus and asks him to help, and so Jesus says to be still to the storms, and all of a sudden the wind dies down and the sun comes out and the sea is stilled, and they float uneventfully to the other side. And chapter 4 ends with the question, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? And that question is answered by Legion. Who are you to torment me, O son of the most high God? Or whatever the actual verbiage is there, that's pretty close. And so, you know, that we have this interesting exchange because the demon recognizes exactly who Jesus is, and one would think that Jesus would be in the business of not giving demons what they want. And yet, the demon asks Jesus, don't send us away, just send us into that swine. And Jesus says, all right, go ahead. Now, I, I spent a lot of time kind of thinking, and, and throughout my life I've kind of thought this, that you know, it was really the power of the demons that caused this, the, the, herd, the swine herd to be drowned. And, and, you know, it, now that I know it's against the pig's nature not to swim, we also know that, this, that these demons were tormenting this man. They were tormenting him night and day. In our, in our conversation during Bible study, one of the questions that came up is, how did this man live through that? You know, I, I can't imagine living with that. And, you know, you, why did he not just kill himself? And part of my answer is that there's a possibility that the demons really just wanted to torment the man. They didn't necessarily want him to kill himself. But if, but if it is the power of the demons to kill the swine herd, what if it was the desire of the demons to actually cause this man to die? And we see something really interesting here, that this is one of the very few passages in the Bible that deal with the idea of self-harm. Remember that the man, while wailing night and day, was, was also hurting himself and bruising himself and cutting himself with stones. And one of the things that I've learned about people who engage in self-harming behavior is a lot, it's not so much that they like pain, but a lot of self-harming behavior involves the need for control when you feel very out of control. And I had a teenage girl in a youth group tell me one time, I don't need razors to cut myself. You know, and we think about the ways that sometimes we, we punish ourselves. You know, I, I joke that, you know, the way I deal with grief sometimes is to tell it to sit down and pile food on top of it. But that's not a healthy behavior, right? You know, we, we all engage when we feel out of control in, in behaviors both that are healthy and unhealthy. And so when I think of also this man having not just a demon in there, but legion, so many demons to the point where all throughout this long time that he's been living in the catacombs people would try to restrain him to keep him from hurting himself and people around him but he would wrench the chains open and break down the shackles we think about what it's like to be bombarded by the voices around us and we realize that there are days where even when we aren't possessed by something sometimes the noise in our head and the noise around us is getting way too much to bear I cannot tell you how many text messages and phone calls and Facebook alerts I've gotten about the election, let alone everything else that's going on right now. And imagine this man in the cave with all of this noise inside of his head. And just this little bit of noise, it's 
not very pleasing and it's not very happy and certainly sometimes the amount of noise that's made by the voices of our head outdoes the voices around us and then when those voices are cast out and silence comes what's left to fill it when the voices have stopped whether it's the voice of our own heart or the voice of our head or the voices of the people who have told us we're not worth anything or the voices of our culture that tell us who we should like and who we should love or sometimes the voices of our parents, whether they're positive or negative. You know, what, what fills the space where all that noise used to be? Sometimes it's just silence. In the case of this man, it was Jesus because we see what this man did. This man, when Jesus was getting back into the boat, said to him, take me with you so that I can be with you and, and learn from you and whatever else it was that he wanted to do. And Jesus said to this man, and, and you know what, this might be prudent, because remember, that was just 2,000 pigs that had been driven into the water. That's a lot of bacon. And, and it's also, you know, and an awful large portion of that area's economy that was just driven in and drowned. It's not like you're going to be able to salvage that. And so I imagine that this man, even though he was happy to be healed, was worried about what's going to happen to him after Jesus left, right? And there's, there's something in this that I think is powerful because, you know, even though this was a Gentile community, that much bacon wasn't really needed for, for that community. And think who else eats pigs? Roman soldiers. And so, you know, the, probably a lot of what this community was doing was going to support the occupying force. And we think of the word demon, and part of the Greek sense of this word that we translate as demon is division. It's, it's the sense of being cleaved apart and divided. And in some ways, this is exactly what the Roman forces were going to do to Jerusalem. But the other end of that is that you, you have this in this man, an example of what was happening to God's people. They were cut off from their roots. They were cut off from their family. They were cut off from their traditions because they were occupied by this force. And I get the sense of this man in light of the suffering servant of, in Isaiah who bore our afflictions and bore our infirmities for the sake of the community. And he wasn't much to look at because he was disfigured by, by, the, by the effects of this. I think also in Revelation today, we have this image of the Lamb of God. And remember in, chap in John, when Jesus meets John the Baptist for the first time, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And also this idea of the scapegoat that was popular in the culture at the time where the scapegoat was the one who bore the sins of the community and was punished or killed in order to cleanse the community. And Jews were, were also a people who practiced sacrifice of lambs to redeem them of their sins. And, and think about what it was to be a Jew who was living in the city of Gentiles where, where food was being raised to support the army. You know, I, I think there's a certain amount of ourselves that we have to give up. In, in order to serve the interests of the world. But remember what happens in the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark. 
the very first words that Jesus speaks are, Behold, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What if it was the power of Jesus that caused those pigs to drown? What if it wasn't Jesus giving the demons what they want? Maybe it was Jesus saying, essentially what happens when we have decided that we're going to reserve this piece of ourselves for ourselves. You know, I I hear the joke a lot of times, you know, the last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. But, you know, there's there's also other parts of us that are that are unconverted. Those things that that we hold dear that we don't really want to have to to deal with because either we're we feel like it's too personal to give over to God or well, God will love me anyway, even though I hold on to this one thing, you know, or, or that one vice or that one thought or that, you know, there's these parts of us that we sequester in our hearts. But what happens when the kingdom of God comes near? The forces of hell, death, and the devil cannot stand in the presence of God because the surest sure sign of God's presence is new creation. And when the kingdom of God is near, if it's the power of Jesus that causes those pigs to drown then what he is also calling, causing to drown is the ability of the people of God to continue to engage in the power of the world. Because where the kingdom of God is, the power of the world cannot stand because God's power overtakes it. Using the very same water with which we baptize. Using the very same water with which we proclaim ourselves to be children of God because where God is, we are new creations knowing that when the kingdom of God has come as we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The presence of God will not be abated by those parts of our heart that we don't want to turn over. And the power of Jesus drowns those parts of our hearts in the waters of baptism too. Because where there is heaven, no part of hell can stand. And so we we have this man who may be a symbol of this kind of redemption, a a foreshadowing of the work that Jesus is going to do. This man was cleansed of of the sin of the community and Jesus will cleanse the sin of the world because while that man was a human and still had his problems, Jesus is one who, the, who even the demons recognize as the Son of the Most High, not one who is bound by sin, but one who is already bound by the nearness of the presence of the kingdom of God. And where this kingdom stands, all, that can, all there can be is light and life and hope and new creation. And so as we think about this in connection to All Saints Day, you know, there's a, there's a sense in which when someone in our family dies or someone we love dies, you know, they kind of become in our family their stories, don't they? You know, I, my great-grandfather is one that I identify with. He was the one who used to drink two fingers of whiskey, you know, and, and he was the one who, uh, who just lived to torment mom and embarrass her a little bit, right? And so I, I remember one time at a family lunch, he had, he had ordered a, a shot of whiskey and a beer, and he said, Eric, I was five. You know, Eric, this is a boilermaker holding up the beer, and this is his helper, and, you know, dropped it in and came out with the glass rig- wiggling between his teeth, right? And, and my great-grandfather is a lot more than those stories. He was a tool and die maker. He was a husband. He was a father, a grandfather, a great, you know... Gross Papa was a lot of things, but at this point, he really is just my stories as far as I know. You know, and we think about the way that happens. In some ways, you know, even, even the story of the gospel becomes a little bit two-dimensional. 
And when, when people become their stories, it's not so different than being locked in the tomb because they lose their nuance, they lose their personality, they lose their impact. You know, we, we hear platitudes about Martin Luther King Jr. and people my age have often wondered why they would bother to kill him until you go back and listen to what he was saying. And then all of a sudden you understand why people wanted to kill him because he was so dangerous for the status quo. And on All Saints, we look back not only in those people we have loved and lost, but we look forward to the time when these people are raised again in the glory of the resurrection and they become more than their stories and they become whole people again. When we and all the saints stand together at the foot of the cross and the junction of the empty tomb and proclaim the glory of God with our lips and our mouths, with the breath that God has restored so that we no longer are simple caricatures of who we were, but through the love of God and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, we are once again fully and completely whole. And that's what we celebrate at All Saints, that time when we move out of our grief and into God's wholeness so that we might once again be God's whole people. So this week, as we remember those who we love and we've lost, and we look forward to this wholeness in the kingdom of God, remember that you are not just a two-dimensional story in God's kingdom, but each of us play a full human part in every breath we take and everything that we do so that through our thoughts, words, and deeds, what has been created in us as God's image is what we have an opportunity to show other people as God's image reflected back in them. And so think about the ways that you share this story with your life. And this week, be determined to have an openness to those places where God's story needs to be reflected into your life through the people who matter to you. Amen.